0: Hello and welcome to the Recovering God podcast. This is a platform to explore issues that affect the faith lives of Christian women.
1: We hope you find this podcast helpful.
2: Hello Recovering God listeners, it's fantastic to have you back with us once again. Um, This month, we have the fantastic Shannon K. Evans with us. Shannon K. Evans is a writer and speaker who lives beside a conserved prairie in the US Midwest with her spouse and their five children. Shannon is the author of Rewilding Motherhood and her new book, Feminist Prayers for My Daughter. Her day job is as the spirituality and culture editor at the National Catholic Reporter Newspaper, an independent, progressive paper that centres on the intersection of faith and justice. When we asked Shannon what she wanted you guys as the Recovering God listeners to know about her, she mentioned that she's unreasonably obsessed with her chickens. And uh, maybe we'll find out a little bit more about that later. So it's so good to have you with us today.
3: Uh, Shannon, welcome to the Recovering God podcast. Thank you so much, Amy and Sarah. It's nice to be here. i myself wanting to talk in an accent when I listen to you. So hopefully I don't embarrass myself and actually do it. <laughs> we wondered if you could start by just telling us a little bit
2: about yourself.
3: Yeah, so... um like I said, I live in the Midwest in the United States. I live in Iowa and um, have five kids. So I have four boys and my youngest is a girl. So they're in the ages are 13 to three. So it's, it's a lot. (laughs) It's, it's, it's really, it's fun most days, but it's crazy. I never necessarily planned to have five kids. It's sort of like, well, there we go. We, we're not big planners and it happened. And it's really fun though. Um, It's really neat to see like their relationship with each other. I'm kind of one of those people who is just like insatiably spiritual. So even like the years, you know, the past few years, I don't know about you guys, but in the United States, it has not been an easy like six years for us. And, you know, there's been so many times when I've like, wanted to just walk away from Christianity or, or from you know, identifying that way. But I just kind of kept coming back to like, well, what would I do with all this like spiritual stuff that's always running through me? You know, like I, and so I kind of was like, well, this is the, this is the language I know. These are the symbols I know. These are the stories I know. These are, this is like what has formed my spiritual DNA. Like, I don't want to start over and have to like, you know, so here I am. So I kind of like to think of myself as an agitator, you know, of just kind of pushing pushing against the status quo and trying to move us forward into like a more yeah. compassionate, empathetic church. But I don't know. There's a lot of people working with me. So I feel like power in numbers, right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah.
1: So in that theme, um, I was just thinking in terms of, you know, how has your understanding of God developed over time then? Oh, it's
3: changed a lot. Yeah. i i I, i'm catholic now but i didn't become catholic till i was 30 and i'm now i turned 40 next week and so i think that's been a really good thing though because i was raised by pretty moderate baptist parents um but like religion was always a very important part of my family life but they weren't like crazy evangelical i mean not all evangelicals are crazy but like you know some are so i'm just but um they weren't like crazy it was just it was a pretty healthy like um mercy and justice grounded faith and but then when i went when i got into college i basically like went off the deep end and did become one of those crazy religious fanatics <laughs> i wasn't like in a cult but like i was definitely like fundamentalist but it was it's really interesting now knowing myself the way i do to look back on it and to remember those feelings that i mean you want to call it like my, my inner self or the Holy spirit or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But like these like promptings in me that knew I was ascribing to things that I didn't actually believe I was being told I needed to do things. that I didn't actually believe God was asking of me. And, you know, but it's the sense of belonging is so powerful in faith communities. And it was like, I had come out of a really hard destructive time in my life and I was trying to find healthy friendships and, and supportive community and, and find some inner healing. And, and those things did happen there, you know, so it wasn't all bad, but I, I do get sad when I look back and kind of think of how I abandoned myself or sort of didn't listen to the stirrings of my conscience. And when I kind of, I kind of swung away from that. And that was when I sort of found myself, being drawn to Catholicism because of a different, a different teaching on salvation. I no longer wanted to be like, well, I'm on this side of the line and these people are on this side of the line. And my job is to get them over here, you know? And so that was a big thing, but also suffering. Um, My first, my oldest child is adopted and his first few years home were really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of suffering between the three of us, my spouse, my son and I. And um, and yeah, just the faith that I had up until that point was really insufficient in addressing that, and so and it was very much of like, well, just keep praying for healing. God will heal you. You just need to pray more, you know. And so, what I found in Catholicism was really sort of this spirituality that included suffering and that kind of um, integrated that. And so, I was I was really drawn to that. At the same time, there were qualms about. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church about the role limited roles of women, about LGBTQ, you know, theology and things like that. That that I also, again, like at the time I wasn't really used to working that muscle of knowing myself and and, and being confident in what I believed. And so I just sort of like swept all of that under the rug, and I was like, Well, I'll worry about that later. And then a few years later, it was like, Oh, okay, now's the time to worry about that. <laughs> but again, like I said, it's um yeah, it's, it's been helpful to really surround myself with, with people who are doing similar work and, and caring about the marginalized and, and wanting to see a better church in the future. And so that, that is a really grounding thing.
1: I think a lot of the time when we, we t- people talk about, it, well, specifically in politics, not as a religion, that people kind of tend to be very optimistic in their kind of like outlook and life, and I think sometimes that can drag you maybe into like because I've done similar thing, being a bit into a bit of a cultish thing. But I also think cult, especially Christianity, cultish like you know broadly cultish, um, tend to be quite patriarchal, but also at the same time, patriarchy like you say, you feel very involved can be very sort of family orientated in terms of, you know, inclusion of, you know, not everyone else, but when you're in there, you're very included. You know, women have a real strong role. It's definitely less than what men can do, but they have a real bonding of other women. And so obviously we haven't touched on feminism at the moment. Do you think feminism, Christian feminism, could be are individualistic and how do we also combat that? So we are more of a family unit without being hierarchical and patriarchal. Wonderful.
3: <laughs> I, you know, I never really, I never really thought about it in that way, but you're so right because, and there are actually similarities between like my time in the very like charismatic evangelical church and my experience in the Catholic church, because in a subtle way, women really do have a lot of power, but it has a ceiling. Right. Um, but like when I, you know, when I was really in this more fundamentalist community, The bond between women was was very real and very precious. And there was this very really a deep sense of community and being there for one another. And and I have to say, like the more I've distanced myself from that, like you're like you said, like I think there is a lot of the individualistic sense in in the feminism community. And I, I think even my Catholic friends who are more maybe more conservative, I think that they even have a closer group. You know, a, a, a closer sense of belonging um, than I do, even though we're technically under the same tent. So I don't know what the answer is, but I definitely agree with you. And I think that that is a really like, that's a kind of a gaping area of growth of like, how can we, as feminists, as people who are wanting to move things forward, how can we not end up just trying to do the work alone and not just do the work, but share our lives with each other in vulnerable ways? instead of just always rallying around a cause, you know, um, which that's really good and important. But there's also this this human longing for uh, being known and knowing another. No great brilliant answers here, but <laughs> but I like the question.
2: So I have a bit of experience of the fostering and adoption system in the UK, and I know that it's different in America. But for me, having lived within that system and worked within that system... That threw up some huge questions for me with regards to what I believed and some of the, I guess, more fundamentalist evangelical theologies that that teach that, you know, God's working all things out for, for good. And, you know, if we just pray hard enough and things will be tied up in a little, lovely little package and all will be happy and well, seeing some of the children's lives in that system really made me push and evaluate some of those theologies and so I can relate to what you're saying with regards to your eldest son because it didn't work like the theologies that I've been taught and that you know I'd lived with for a long time they just don't work
3: in that situation yeah exactly Um, it's it was kind of a crisis of faith I, I had already begun um my husband Eric and I were actually missionaries in Indonesia for two years with like this evangelical church Um, And we were going through the adoption process while we were there. And so and while we were there, things had really begun to break down for me as far as like questioning, like, what am I doing? And why am I doing this? And do I actually believe this? It was really parenting and and not just our isolated experience. But like you said, once you're in the foster and adoptive community, like your world just breaks open if you're a white woman, you know, it's like. Oh, I see all of my blind spots and I am like, I know nothing, (laughs) you know? And and so it's like, you have to kind of start like relearning the world all over again, which is a huge gift. It was almost a crisis of faith for me because it's like, okay, this is what I have been told is true about God, but nothing is changing and I'm praying my little heart out. So like, why should my little, little toddler be suffering if the mm-hmm. prayer, if it's my fault, if I'm just not praying the right things, or I don't have the faith of a yeah. mustard seed, you know, like, like, what kind of God would, would not heal a child mm-hmm. whose heart is in so much pain, if that God could, yeah. you know, and and that's a big theological question that, you know, people, have, philosophers have been wrestling with forever. But I think for me, it was like, I would much rather ascribe to a theology and surround myself with people who say like we don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Then then to be with people who are like the answer is that you just keep praying. <laughs> you know? Like I would just rather people be honest and be like let's let's lean into the mystery and also like let's grow in compassion and let's grow in our own inner healing and like let's do better for each other and let God heal us all that way you know
2: yeah yeah thank you and I think there's a freedom that comes with saying I don't know yeah 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 we um would love to find out a bit more about your most recent book um which I do have a copy of here but our listeners won't have any videos there's no point in me holding up I'm gonna hold it up anyway um so feminist prayers for my daughter could you tell us a little bit about the history of the book and how you came to write it
3: please yeah um so like I said at the beginning I have four boys and I have wanted a daughter since I was like 12 um and so my parents are very glad that I did not have one when I was 12. But I I have always just sort of felt like I was supposed to have a daughter. And so, you know, when m- my first several children were boys, I like, I kind of had to grieve at, at some point to be like, Okay, I am never gonna have a daughter. And for me, that happened with my third son, like I may never have a daughter. And then I sort of just leaned into it. And i like, loved being a boy mom. And I just, you know, like, it's human. We just have to go through that cycle of grief and everything. Um, so then it, it just really freed me up to accept it, and I loved it. So we thought we were done, and then Lil Miss was a surprise, and it—you know—is it the craziest thing. It just things had transpired in my life where I had been victimized by the patriarchy in, in very like formal and professional ways, and. I was really questioning, like whether I wanted to stay Christian, you know, it's kind of in that time, whether there was a place for me in the Catholic church, or if I would just have to leave because of, because I was kind of really waking up to how damaging patriarchy was. And unfortunately for me, it really was, it didn't happen for me until it personally affected me. And then I was like, Oh, okay. All of this is happening. I started being exposed to some writing that that imaged God in the feminine and that addressed God as mother and I found myself like simultaneously awed by that and sort of scared that I didn't actually have permission to do that and that is in that context is when I found out that I was pregnant with my daughter and I because of genetic testing because I was old I got to like get all like find out her gender early and but i i knew right from the beginning that it was a girl i just knew yeah so i guess i didn't really start writing the prayers until a few months after she was born and i started with them being literally for my daughter i was thinking of her i was thinking of things she was going to go through what i hoped for her life and i was writing them but as i got further into the project i kind of really realized I was just writing for women and like kind of from this, I mean, I'm certainly, I'm only just almost 40. So I'm not like, you know, at the end of my life with all this wisdom to give, but I just felt like I could imagine these women, whether hypothetically or women that I knew that I cared about and like what I wanted to pray for them. And what I hoped they would pray for me and, and kind of just this beautiful cycle of Mm. motherhood and daughterhood that includes all of us, not just the people who literally have daughters. And, and then also along the way, I kind of realized I was, I was reparenting myself through these prayers, right? I was like mothering my own inner child. And that's another thing that I really hope people Mm. do with it. So that's the story behind it.
1: how might women who wouldn't consider themselves mothers or mothers sons approach your book like you've just said like it's not just for mothers it's for every
3: every woman you know how do they approach Mm -hmm. your book in that respect the title can be sort of off-putting or or just like exclusive if you think like well I'm not a mom of a daughter so I guess this doesn't affect me but I think or this book's not for me but some of the most Mm -hmm. most meaningful like reviews that i've read of the book or like messages that i've gotten from people have been from people who don't have daughters but they're like this this has been a way for me to pray for myself or i have used this um in community with women who i love or who i walk with or i have used this for my you know for my niece's birthday or my goddaughter's baptism or you know just anything cuz cuz Women just care about each other, you know, like we really have this, have this deep connection and concern for one another where, you know, across generations or across, you know, blood ties or chosen family or whatever, like we, we all like want the words to express our desires and our hopes for one another and and the kind of world that we long for. Um, So yeah, I definitely think that there's something here for everybody. I have even had friends that only have sons that have told me that they just changed the words to some of them. Some of them don't apply, but the ones that do. And I thought that was really cool too. Yeah. So I I definitely think, and I think like just one of the, a super cool practice is just to actually pray them like over your own inner child. I just think when people tell me that they do that, I'm like. My work here is done.
1: (laughs) Well, in terms of, I was just thinking in terms of changing the name from daughter to son. I mean, how often as Christian women have we had to do that through the centuries? Right. In the Bible, you know, so. That
3: is a point. I'm totally going to quote you on that.
2: As I flicked through it, when I first got hold of it, I just found so many that was like, oh my gosh, I need to pray that for myself. Forget about my daughters. Like that, you know, I need to know that for myself. Yeah, it's it hits on so many different levels. One of the things that I really noticed was the different descriptors you used for God. What, in fact, one day I just flicked through and was like, mm-hmm. "These are amazing." Just li- like just looking at how the prayer started, I wonder if you could maybe pick a few out that are your favorites or talk about how you, yeah, how you went through that that process.
3: Yeah, that was like my favorite um, part of the writing process. You know, it was so fun. The way I wrote it was. I started out just making a long list of everything that I wanted to cover. And then from there thought, like, how do I want to address God for each of these topics? And gosh, it was so it was such a breath of fresh air for me because our spiritual and religious imaginations just get so stuck in like the same handful of names that we are permitted to use for God. But like the really interesting thing to me is that like if you're actually looking through the Bible, there have got to be thousands of metaphors for God, you know, and most of them we never use or we never talk about. I mean, it's really cool. And I think it's a really like one of just one of the most creatively valuable parts of our religious tradition and it has sort of gotten lost cuz we're like Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's it, you know. Tick tick tick. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the prayer for for getting her hands dirty. Um, I say, oh you who dwell in dirt and worms. Um, for pregnancy, I say, oh womb of the world. For let's see. We have oh sacred fire, oh universal lover, oh creator of cellulite. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> like that one. Oh you who take a thousand shapes. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. I mean, they're all great, but. Yeah, so it's just, man, that was fun. Yeah, I got that idea from Joyce Rupp. Have you guys ever read her books? Mm, I haven't, no. She's no. an American um, Catholic sister, a nun, and she's she's older. I was going to, like, make an estimate of her age, but I don't dare do that to anybody, but, but she's older. And um, she's been writing a long time, just really prolific. And she has a few books where she does that and um man i think that really shifted something in me the first time i read it there's a real
2: power mm-hmm. behind uh,
3: being in being able to
2: understand god in those different ways i think
1: yeah yeah especially feminine terms yeah. as well because we're so used to masculine terms and it's almost like we're you know just disrespected if we even dare think of God in
3: female terms I mean it's just absolutely absolutely and like yeah that was actually the first the first one I read of Joyce Rupps it was I don't even remember what it was now but she it was something about like God as mother right and that was like the first time and it just shifted something in me and and it is interesting how defensive people will get about that and how how quick they will be to label you heretic or whatever you know but then you like look in the bible and like there are things of like god as a midwife and god as a birthing mm-hmm. woman and jesus mm-hmm. as, as a I mother can. Can, yes <laughs> and like i'm like it's in there we're just not looking for it or like you know um sophia you know personified as wisdom mm-hmm. is like most scholars agree that that's either like, like a prefiguring of jesus Or it's like the Holy Spirit, but it's certainly divine, you know, and I don't know. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, Jesus is known as to be the wisdom, isn't he, in (laughs) terms of
1: an attribute. Anyway, so um, again, to pivot. So we talked about earlier about, you know, how might women um, consider themselves if they're not mothers. But also I'm thinking in terms of um, how do women just sort of understand themselves as feminists when they're stay-at-home mothers, who do have kids, because I know there's a lot of ideology in, well, especially Mm. in the evangelical church, like if you're a stay-at-home mother, then clearly you're just, you know, and your husband obviously goes to work and earns the money and you stay at home. So clearly you can't be a feminist or you're not a feminist and you're doing the right thing, you know, but actually, you know, well, just personally, I was a stay-at-home mum for 10 years and my husband, we did do more traditional roles, but I am absolutely a feminist, but I can understand how people can, question you know so I don't know just in that respect and in your book
3: in terms of talking to your daughters and stuff yeah you know so interesting because I think that there's like there's like the conservative wing who's like okay good you're a stay-at-home mom so you're okay you're not one of those feminists you know and then there's like the like the liberals who are like oh you're a stay-at-home mom like you're clearly not a feminist (laughs) you know so it's like there's some like parties where you just can't win on either side. But I think what what most thinking people would agree is that feminism means having having choices and having the the freedom to choose what you want to do and you know what what works for your family and what your where your desires are. When I wrote Rewilding Motherhood, I actually got a lot of criticism from from people who felt like I was saying being a stay-at-home mom Isn't good enough. And when I wrote it, I was a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) I was like, what I think that there can be something threatening when a woman questions, like, where where is my agency within this social framework? And like, nothing has to change. But like it's a matter of examining, like, am I actually doing what I long to do? Do I feel like stuck? Do I feel like I have had that I have given consent to the trajectory that my life has taken? Do I feel like the power's out of my hands? Like those kinds of things. 100%. Yeah. Like the answer to all of those can be, I am living according to my conscience. I am living in line with my own personhood. And I am staying at home because that's what I feel is right for me right now. And who knows, maybe one day it could change. Maybe one day it could never change maybe i'm working full time and i really feel like what i need to do right now to be aligned with my fem- feminist beliefs is to leave the workplace and be at home for a while or for indefinitely. So yeah, i mean, man, i i think that people do make that assumption about me that i that i like would look down on that. And I'm like, no, i think that's totally completely awesome. My my husband is the like stay-at-home dad right now. He's also a spiritual director, so he does that on the side. But you know it's like i think for any family it's a great thing when one parent is able to be with the kids like whichever parent that is you know i think that that's really it's a privilege but it's like a really wonderful one so anyway that's my soapbox
1: (laughs) yeah no i mean i was also thinking in terms of covid like covid totally changed up well i don't know so much about america but here you know so my husband was always out in london four or five times a week and then COVID hit, and now I'm the one working outside the home, earning obviously a lot less. I work in a school, you know, but he's actually the one at home. So if a kid's sick, they actually he actually just looks after them, you know, like tightly roll, you know, things certain change, and they still were like this kind of traditional role that he earns more and I earn less, but yet he's more in the home and I'm out the home. It's like
3: you know, COVID really changed a lot of things for a lot of people. I think. Right, yeah, it changed for us too when we switched, he was like, he was working full-time at a church and he wasn't very happy in the position. He had been there five years. And I was, um, staying at home in writing like, but, but, you know, just like a few hours a week. And I was really ready to, to reenter the workforce. My daughter had kind of, she was, I guess about one at the time. And, um, so we were like, well, what if we just switch? <laughs> so we just switched and it was great. It's it's worked for us. But yeah, I think that's one of the few good things that came out of COVID is that families got more creative.
1: Yeah. And the security of a man doesn't deter you know, isn't determined by whether a woman stays at home and cleans and cooks and uh,
2: you know or well, no in our household I'm like I joke that I'm the absolute worst housewife if I go away for a weekend everything's done in the house if my husband goes away for work that he comes back and it's literally like a bombs hit it and I'm like we're all alive there's you know the, there's a massive pile of washing like and you know pe- and people will always say to me is, is is he all right with the kids I'm like he's thriving with the kids like it's it's me you should be worried about but you aren't because I'm a woman <laughs>
3: Hundred percent. I could not relate more to that. I could not relate more. Yeah. Absolutely. He he does much better when I leave than I do when he leaves. Yeah. And not just cleanliness, but just like mental state. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah. That always yeah. <laughs> always frustrates me whenever
2: anyone asks, Will he be okay? I'm like, trust me, he'll be fine. <laughs> Um, I I wonder after having gone through the process of writing the book, um, whether it's changed or developed how, what you would like your children to understand of God. I think
3: the book is more a sort of like a, a tangible product that I can look at, you know, but I think the book itself is actually sort of like the result of years of wrestling with like, what do I think and believe and like, who is God to me? And, and how do I want to imagine this God? And like, how do I relate to this God apart from what other people have told me I should do, or I should think and believe. And so, yeah, I mean, I think more than anything, I, I want my children to experience God as not something outside of themselves that they have to go find or that they have to go somewhere to worship, but like, like within them and, and all around them and, and not something that has to be like hunted down, but something that is accessible at all times. And, and, you know, like in these prayers, like in the dirt and worms in the minstrel blood in like just the nitty gritty of life in our relationships, our care for our neighbor and our, our, you know, expanding our place of welcome at our table and make room for other people, just all of these things. Like, so I don't know that I'm doing the greatest job, but I think that that is like my goal for what I want to pass on to my kids of like, God is not a white man in the sky with a long beard that we need to just sort of like knock on his door. Like, oh my gosh, I it drives me crazy. I, I heard this song the other day and it's like the exact sentiment that drives me crazy. It's sort of like, I don't even know it was on the radio of all things but it was it's basically like hey god it's me or like not not god (laughs) here I am again or something I'm like no (laughs) yeah we don't get that kind of radio over here uh we're we're a secular (laughs) nation (laughs) so that doesn't happen yeah I'm just like what a what an anemic understanding of like the greatest mystery in the universe you know like just reduce it to this thing that you like knock on the door and like ask for something and then take it and like take your beggar's bowl back to your house or whatever.
2: Something that we ask all of our guests and we're kind of coming to a close now but we would love to hear one of your prayers read out at the end as well if that's okay so have you got like one single line of encouragement for Christian women today?
3: I think I think what I always what I always think of if I could just tell women one thing is to trust yourself I think we have been so conditioned not to not to know how to listen to ourselves, not to know how to trust ourselves. but um but like if we get quiet and we really listen like it just it just almost never steers us wrong you know thank Um, you yeah would you read a prayer for us Okay, I turned to this one, and so I thought it was a good one to close on. It's called For Raising Her Voice. A loving songstress. Since the day she was born, my daughter has raised her voice, a squawking newborn who believed she was worth our time. But as she grows older, she will wonder if there is a place setting for her at the table of the world. She will notice that the girls who relinquish their voices are rewarded by the powers that be, and that those who refuse to be silent it labeled and hushed and jeered and there will come a day when she must decide whether she will speak when she opens her mouth make it her voice that pours forth not the echo of another's give her humility and love yes but also give her a firm resolve and loyalty to the light within her may she never stop believing that her voice is still worth our time Amen. amen
2: Mm, thank you shannon it's yeah it's been an absolute joy to have you join us today we'll link we'll link all of your stuff in our show notes so that people can access you've got substack as well haven't you yeah yeah so we'll we do yeah. we'll link all of that and uh, yeah we just really appreciate your time and i'm uh, as a side note i'm really impressed that we
3: managed to sort out the whole time zone thing without any issues like my, my head doesn't do time math anyway so it doesn't matter just i believe it's pretty sad. thank you for being here <laughs>
2: Hello Recovering God listeners and welcome back to this episode. Myself and Amy are here and we would like to issue an apology that we didn't actually finish our discussion with Shannon K Evans properly. We were having too much of a good time and just got completely lost in it but we're very happy that we've got Sarah MH with us this evening. Hello Sarah. Hello. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, have you managed to have a chance to listen to the episode?
0: I did it was really interesting I'll be honest with you I, I hadn't read the book before and I listened to it and I was like straight on my um, internet and just bought myself a copy
2: it's really good how did you get on with it
0: I enjoyed it I, enjoyed it. I think it's a lot like it's one you dip in and out of isn't it it's not one you can just sit and read back to back but I think it's that lovely like resource and I just I can kind of see I can see all the times I might just use like this or that or that prayer for this and that prayer for that I think it's a really good like reference resource almost you know those times where you may be at an event or you're trying to write something or or you know for its intended purposes with your daughter and thinking I really want a prayer for this or I want something a bit different for me I'm not a mum so I'm not going to be using it for that but it's really nice to have like in your back pocket for just some other like kind of alternative prayers because we get very used to the same sort of very masculine kind of informed prayers so I was like excellent add that to the bookshelf
2: yeah I think I liked the way in which like you say it can be dipped in and out of but also that it covers such a wide breadth of like life situations
0: yeah yeah absolutely I think as well one thing I've been thinking a lot about is how often I start my prayers with like Heavenly Father or like, and I think that it's a lot. And I don't really, I start to not use Father very much, just for kind of all sorts of reasons, because it's just as complicated for some people, but also just to add a bit of variety for myself. But what I've found now is I go to start a prayer and I have like a good few seconds where I'm trying to think of how to start it. So like loving God has been used a lot, but I've, I've just replaced one with another. And I really liked the variety she had of the ways of starting prayers and the way that she referred to God. And I feel like I've got to have a, a much wider repertoire than my loving father or loving God. <laughs> so I'm kind of, I found that to be really helpful. So I'm kind of trying to memorize some of her ways of
1: referring to God because I love them.
2: What do you reckon, Amy?
1: Yeah, no, I what I love is that I've got a very close Catholic friend and I love the way they're so deep about, and so prayer is so central as well. And I like the way that you can have, like, like she does, like have prayers that you can just go to because sometimes you can be struggling or, you know, you just don't even know what to say in the moment. And if you have that beauty of having a prayer written down you can just say it and it just can just sort of wash over you as opposed to feel like, like you say, have to find the words like, you know, and that can be very evangelical you know, we have to say the words because we have to be very spontaneous and we don't we don't want to be ritualistic or anything but I kind of love that um, real richness of the Catholic faith from what I've experienced anyway, with my friends and obviously this prayer book and um, just have that, that beauty of words written down that you can use just, um, yeah, so that's why, I, yeah I thought that was was good
2: I think there's um, a real intentionality as well when someone like Shannon has taken the time to really think about the words that she chooses and really carefully ponder the way in which she wants to phrase things and I think you're right within kind of a more spontaneous prayer setting sometimes you don't get that that kind of poetry edge and that sense of something being created and crafted for a reason
1: Yeah, because I think that when she's reading them, they are sort of very poetic, aren't they? And there's something beautiful. And I just don't think you can really just off the cuff. I mean, I'm not very, you know, like that. So I can never off the cuff, make a beautiful prayer. Like sometimes you are with someone and I'm like, wow, they've said that so eloquently and so lovely, but... Otherwise, you know, usually, you know, you're, you're not that eloquent. And you're sort of stuttering around for what to say and stuff. So, yeah, I, I love the beauty that, that yeah, it comes across as quite po- poetic as well. So that's that's nice. Yeah, I love the way that she started some of these
0: prayers. You've got, o oh, breasted God, which I think is brilliant. But you've got Mother Time. You've got Crown Bestower. You've got First Artist. You've got First Mother Embodied Body, Spirit. They're just, you know, oh, God of self-belonging. I just think there's some brilliant ways of referring to God in here. And I just, yeah, as you say, it's really poetic. Um, And there's some that are a bit more challenging, I think, uh, that might not feel natural. There are others that just feel really, really comfortable, um, you know, oh, source of abundant wholeness. What a brilliant way of referring to God.
2: Yeah. uh, Amy, was there anything else that stuck out for you from our discussion?
1: So I was thinking the question that I asked about um, how sort of patriarchal circles, because obviously we're talking about feminism, um, can, can be quite like community-based and, you know, there can be a space for everyone. Now, you might be oppressed and you might suffer and stuff in that space, but there seems to be quite tight-knit communities. And like we discussed about um, how feminism can sometimes be quite potentially quite individualistic and how do we overcome that and that was something that I was quite interested in talking to her about because again back from her catholic faith she also recognized that yeah there's definitely that space of feminism can be a bit individualistic but the catholic church still can her space anyway can be still very family and community orientated so I don't know what you thought about that but that's always something that's played on my mind I thought that was really
0: interesting because my experience has probably been the reverse. I think it's probably only in feminist space and I found a community of um, people who who love one another and support one another and really want to be there for each other. What I found in kind of non-feminist spaces, whether that's kind of complementarian or what have you, you can be part of a community as long as you behaved. Right. As long as you were, you know, not booking the trend, you weren't what have you. And maybe not all
1: of you is welcome. Some parts of you are welcome, but not all of them. So absolutely. I mean, there's definitely there's a there's a tight knit community, but you definitely have to play a role. Like there's no denying that there's only you only can show a certain part of you.
2: So, Sarah, I was wondering if any of those spaces that you have been describing in terms of community within more kind of feminist thought have been. Like physical spaces or whether they're more online. Certainly my experience has been that whilst I know like a number of people who would hold to similar views to me, they maybe aren't all in the same place. So it becomes more of an online connection rather than a physical space. Yeah. So I wonder what your experience was.
0: It it comes and goes, right? Not everywhere I've lived I've had that, but there've been a few places where I think there's been enough of us who've intentionally wanted that and thought that out and therefore have created church on that basis. Or who have you know all found a safe place and then all told each other that's a safe place to go so I think that that's been my experience but I think I also recognize that it can be a very lonely experience for me over the last eight years or so it's always been uh, searching out physical spaces where yeah the wholeness of who I am and I am like you know loud <laughs> and opinionated and awkward and all of those things i just wanted to go somewhere where all of that is celebrated And that's what i really love about sharon's book because she really celebrates all stages of life and all types of personality and all sorts of experiences
2: one of the things that really stuck out to me was when we had the discussion about the ability for the prayers to be used to reparent ourselves and I've certainly found that within some of the prayers. I don't know what you both feel about that.
0: But yeah, I think there is some really good stuff in there about reparenting and perhaps hearing in a childlike language the sort of permission given that we needed to hear from God at that point and wasn't always given that
2: kind of permission given. Yeah, Amy, have you got any thoughts on that?
1: Um, I don't know, not really actually. It's not really something I've ever thought about, so it's quite interesting when she said it, but that concept is not really Yeah, I've not really come across that and I wasn't like my parents weren't Christian when I was younger, so I suppose and I came Christian when I was sixteen. My mum came Christian when I was seven. So yeah, I don't know, it's not really been something I've ever thought about. Amy and Sarah, it's been lovely to
2: join you for this discussion. And yeah, just uh one last plug for the book. So it's Shannon K. Evans, Feminist Prayers for My Daughter. And Shannon is really active on social media as well. So we'll link all of those in our show notes. But we shall finish this properly. So goodbye, Amy and Sarah. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. And one last thing before we go is to let you know that Recovering God podcast will be taking a break over the summer. So we've got one more episode coming up in July and then we will not be producing anything for you in August. We hope you have a lovely summer. We look forward to being back with you in September.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovering God podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe and tell others who you think will be interested. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Recovering God or contact us by email at recoveringgodpodcast
3: at gmail.com.